to Front Row Material! It's not for everyone. With Jerry Lynn! And I am going to blow you. Excuse me? And Mikey Whiprack! Out of the water. Here's your host, Mike Freeland! Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. I'm soon to be joined by the two... Mike, make it, make, make this fucking quick. I just, uh, I just took some blue chew. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And you got some business to take care of? (laughs) Well, I figured we can wrap this thing up in about 35 minutes. I'm going to show the missus a good time. Well, look, I've been I've been sick. At what it seems like for fucking six weeks. Oh, it's like the first day. This is like the first day I'm feeling, you know, a little bit somewhat normal. So I figured, let me uh, let me try the blue chew. Like, oh. kick things in overdrive here. You try saucy the, uh, tart. Well, you know, not that we need to get into my, uh, you know, relationship well, habits. But since you've been you, sick, you got to make up for lost time. Mikey, I was going to ask you, do you have any favorite moves? Do you have a move, I should say? Do you have one? Yeah, his favorite's a duck under go behind and stay there. <laughs> I, I keep my moves a secret, Mike Freeland. I, I was just, just wondering if you could share something with the uh, with the younger generation. Maybe I could uh, I could learn from you. And don't worry, they don't Mikey. Pay me, they, with, they don't pay me enough for that. <laughs> don't worry, Mikey. With blue chews, there won't be a small package in this finish. <laughs> I got to thank Matt for that one. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm looking forward to the blue chew because it. Uh, when you reach my advanced age, <laughs> round two doesn't come easy, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, with blue chews, it could possibly work twice as fast to get in that uh, second inning. Well, no, it, it, work, it works for me. <laughs> oh, God. And you know what, Mikey? You can take it on an empty stomach, full or empty, so you don't have to worry I about the keto actually. thing. Oh, you took it on an empty stomach? Yeah. Oh, wow. And a beer. <laughs> wow. Wow. Now, did you have this shipped to your house? Actually, I, I believe it or not, I had a ship to work. Oh, to work? <laughs> well, because my, the mail at my house is a little wacky, so sometimes things don't really show up when it's supposed to. Oh. And I think I got nosy neighbors, so well, I had a ship to work. Well, you don't have to worry about that because it comes in very discreet packaging. Well, that, that's why I shipped it there. I figured, well, if I get <laughs> like, you know, like a fucking porno cover coming to work, it, it might uh, raise some red flags. Right. Yeah. But, so uh, it's a no, good it, thing. It, it came very nice, private. Nobody asked any questions. Right. The only person who would ask a question is Chris Hansen. He'd say, what's in the bag? You can say blue chews and condoms. <laughs> and cookies. <laughs> naked, chasing a cat around. <laughs> Stop chasing your pussy and let's go. <laughs> no, I'm a big, honestly, I'm a big fan of the Blue Chew. It's uh, it's quite nice, quite lovely. And I don't necessarily have a problem at the department. No. To be honest. They say it only takes a few minutes to fill out a form online with no doctor's visit. Let, no hassle. Let's put it that way. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the, the I'm here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> 
And no weird looks from the doctor and the nurse. No. Well, you would have to agree, though. I mean, nothing's more awkward than going to your doctor talking about your willy. You know what I mean? And then saying, hey, listen, I'm having some I've never done it. (laughs) I wouldn't do it either. (laughs) I I had a conversation about ingrown hair one time. Man, that was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. An ingrown hair? Huh? So, Jerry, how can our listeners go ahead and get... <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Hold I, on. I think we need to tell everyone this isn't a side effect of the Bluetooth. Mikey has, is just getting over bronchitis. Oh. <laughs> and he, are you crying, Mikey? <laughs> Oh. I just thought about the ingrown hair again. Oh, jeez. Uh, so, so, Jerry, how can people go ahead and get their first order? Blue you Chew. just visit bluechew.com and you get your first order free when you use the promo code ECW. All you pay is $5 in shipping. That's bluechew.com promo code ECW. And it's nice. easy. It is easy. I don't. I don't have patience for like a long form filling out the stuff. Oh. That's why I was never good at the online surveys. I don't either. So this was very nice and easy. You know, five dollars, nice and easy. Came in a couple days. And I'm ready to go. Did you use the ECW code? I did actually. So everyone's got to remember. To get your first order free, use ECW for the promo code. ECW, ECW. What does that stand for? Erect what? Extra chunky dick. Extra chunky. <laughs> Extra Wait chunky dick. Dick. Dick E-C-dub. doesn't start with a W. Extra chunky dick. <laughs> Extra chubby dick. Oh, chubby. Okay, <laughs> we'll go with chubby. Dick doesn't uh, start with W. Moving along. <laughs> moving along. Yes, alright. So spell. we're a little bad, we're a little bad with the spelling. <laughs> extra, extra chubby Willie. Okay. Yeah, or wiener. Okay. Extra we're- chubby wiener. Or Willie. Yes, are we live? We are. We're good. We're we're up and we're up and running. Did you get uh did you get everything going now? You good? Yeah, I, ha- I had to reboot the computer. Okay. Wait, should we explain why Mikey's not here? Oh, that's a good point. We probably should. Yeah, he's got a big soccer tournament, two-day tournament this weekend, so. Anything and everything goes. It's all on the table. Oh, it's all about Jerry boy. Lynn. Does from, everything have to be on the table? It's all on the table from your days as the uh, the Cape Crusader, Mr. JL. And uh, all the way to your time in Japan, Ring of Honor, ECW, WWE, WCW, the work that you've done with X-Pac, which speaking of our good friend X-Pac, he actually tweeted out another thing, another compliment about you guys working together with another video clip, which I thought was very cool. I saw that about catching him. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of, let's kind of start out with that really quickly here. Um, Should we do an open? 
Welcome to Front Row Material. My name is Mike Friel, and I'm joined by the ECW uh, Ring of Honor, WCW. Okay, that's enough. Hall of, that. of Famer. That's enough of that nonsense. All right, all right, fine. That was I a had good to one. do it because I miss Mikey. We we miss him as well. X Pac always said that you he always felt comfortable that you would catch him. So let me let me start off by asking you this question: When it comes to something like that, and you often mentioned, you know, you're giving your body to somebody, or they're, you know, the trust level is very important. Oh yeah, very very important. So did you ever? And you're not going to have to name names, but did you feel like for the majority of your career you could trust people? Was it fifty fifty, or was it? Uh, I really don't know. Well, if it was someone you'd never worked with before, you didn't know until you you tried to do it. And the sad thing is, like early on, I think there were guys who didn't catch on purpose. So you learned real fast who you could and could not do dive spots with. Right. I, you know, there were a lot of times where if I didn't feel comfortable taking a move, I wouldn't do it. Right. Because the one time I did and got... To talked into doing it after i said i wasn't comfortable i permanently messed up my arm gosh so if i always tell in my seminars i tell the younger guys i say if if there's something you do not feel comfortable doing don't be afraid to say no the business has evolved and escalated to the point where the moves have gotten so much dangerous and there's so many guys who have created moves um and it there it's just seems to be newfangled ways of dumping you on your head. And if I don't feel like you can really, you know, the odds of you taking care of me near a hundred percent, well, I'm not going to take that move. Did you ever participate in the move that they call the Canadian destroyer? Yes. So let's, let's just kind of clear the air with this. The Canadian destroyer was not something that was originally created by P.D. Williams. Was it his, or was that something that had been going on As far as I know. That he did create it? No, I think, yeah, as far as I know, he created he it. He created it, okay. Because there had been some speculation yeah. online about whether P.D. was the original or that match, or that uh, move had existed, and yet he put his own spin on it, or? No, as far as I know, it was him. What's your thoughts? And he's the only one who's given it to me. Okay. And it was a few times. How did you so, but feel I, about that? It was funny. Jay Lethal and I would have a contest to see who could take it better. Oh, geez. Of course, Jay won. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, you know, I trusted Petey that he'd take care of him. And then, you know, I'd try and protect myself as much as I could, like hang on with my hands and keep my neck and everything up against his fruit cup and tuck my chin for dear life. And, you know, after the first time, if there was ever an opportunity and we had like, I think we did a few multi-man things, like three or four ways. And if I eliminated earlier, I would always have Petey do it to me because I figured at my age, it would be more of a surprise to the fans because I'm probably the last person they expected to take it. And I always wanted to have moments in the match that would surprise everyone. What was your initial thoughts when you first saw the Canadian Destroyer? Was it, was it oh my God, or was it, I, I think that's, that's pretty cool. I'd like to try that. No, it was probably, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But now, you know, they've escalated it even more. They're doing it off the top rope through tables on, you know, and then doing it off the ring apron to the floor or just doing it on the ring apron. So they're just, you know, they're taking everything that's already dangerous and kicking it up a few notches. 
It's so interesting because when we talk about the dangers of wrestling, you know, it, it was interesting because when we look back to the days of ECW, we always talk about the tables, the chairs, the bleeding, all of that kind of stuff. But the things that they do now, I mean, it, it's gone even more more beyond that with with just the different athletic moves that they do to each other because landing the wrong way even just for a fraction with some of these more unique moves you are very much in in harm's way more so than than often would you agree oh well yeah you're upping the percentage of something you know really bad that could possibly happen to you but you know also you do go through camp to to train to do certain things the right way and learn how to protect yourself and and hopefully learn how to protect others too because that's very important but you know like even if you hit the ropes wrong you could snap your knee out or snap your ankle or look at RVD he did a baseball slide out the ring and his foot caught the cable holding the ring apron on and he broke his ankle so there's you know there's so many different things that could possibly happen out there but you can't think about it, but you just got to try and hopefully you were trained properly and everything becomes second nature, even the safety aspects. Right. So when you basically started out your career, obviously you were in the independent promotions in Minnesota and Michigan and in and, and the upper, uh, the northern states working with Vern Gagne's AWA. You were the last person to challenge for the AWA World Heavyweight Championship, correct? I didn't realize that. Yeah, with uh, Larry Zabisco. Oh, yeah, I wrestled him a couple times. What was that like working with with Larry? Larry seemed to be a type of guy who was more of a bruiser, I thought, Um, but he did have a lot of technical abilities as well. What was your experience like with Larry? Oh, Larry was fine. Um, One of the matches, actually, I think, I can't remember, was his finisher the pile driver at the time? I believe it was. Well, one of the two matches, I can't remember if it was the first or second one, he'd just given me a simple vertical suplex. And when I hit, for some reason, it just knocked the wind out of me. And I must have made a funny sound because Larry knew right away. And so he just covered me and he said to the ref, he goes, this is it. And he pinned me because it knocked the wind out of me. I could not breathe. You and I were speaking earlier today about your work with uh, X-Pac, the lightning kid. What was it like when you were working with him? Was he somebody that early on you knew this guy gets it? He seems to understand the fundamentals of what needs to be done as far as taking care of each other in the ring? Well, we yeah, I think so, because he had been trained by the Malenkos down in Tampa. And so I knew he was trained well, and and I was trained by Brad Rangan, so and he really, you know, he was, I, he was a great trainer. But so basically, the basic fundamentals we had, but deep down inside, you know, we still had a lot to learn, but we just, we clicked and hit it off because we wanted to be creative and come up with things, new things to make it fun for us and make it fun for the fans and give the fans something they hadn't seen before. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Okay, so last week we were talking about I didn't have any beer and Mikey had the Blittering Idiot. Yes, the Blittering Idiots. Well, coming back home from the uh, Legends of the Ring convention, I was flying through Philly. And at the airport they had this 
I can't remember if it's called German Beer House or something like that. Some German name bar on the one like concourse. Opera House or? No. Okay. Just a small little bar on the concourse that I was flying out of. So I thought, well, I'll go sit down and check out and check out if they have any good dark German beers. And uh, so I'm looking at the menu and I see a couple. All of a sudden I see Blittering Idiot. <laughs> so nice. I had to try it. So, and I, I uh, took a picture of the bottle and I texted it to Mikey. And I said, look what I'm about to drink. And I took a sip. And I remember he was saying it was like, what, 11% alcohol? Yeah, like 11.1%. Pretty oh, high. Oh, man. I took a sip. Holy moly. I had to text Mikey back and said, this is strong. And he said something like, that's why he likes it. And I told him, yeah, after three of these, I would be a blittering idiot. <laughs> How many did he say he had last week? Did he three? say he had multiples? Like, Yeah, he was on wow. his third. And I think he wow. had a couple, what, Coors Light to warm up? He did. Yeah. But, I mean, he's the type of guy who, it, it, it doesn't affect him whatsoever. You wouldn't know. No. He just he he just rolls with it. I'm like, my God. See, I'm the kind of guy who I get sleepy when I drink. So did you you had to get on another flight after that one, right? Yeah, so I stuck to one so I wouldn't forget and miss my flight. First question right out of the shoot. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. Are we gonna are we gonna get some post production? We're gonna get some some quizzing Jerry music or grilling Jerry music. We can cue that yeah. up. Yeah. Maybe some I don't know if Jeopardy would be appropriate or something. I think I think that might be. Yeah. So, so you know what? Let, let's cue that up right here, and here we go. Jerry, this is from Rogue Time Lord 1. The question is, what was the hardest basic in-ring technique for you to learn, and was there anything that others considered difficult that you could do naturally? And once again, thank you, Rogue Time Lord 1, for submitting your question. A drop kick seemed kind of, I mean... You had to do it over and over and over and over. Because, you know, you got to jump up and t- tuck and turn your body in midair and then extend. and So just getting used to that movement. And I think the first time I took a vertical suplex, you wanted to anticipate the bump. And I started leading my legs first. Well, that's a good way of breaking both your ankles. Oh, geez. So the first time I took that, then I realized, okay, I just got to keep my body straight and just go for the ride was there anything that that you took to pretty natural what was something that you were like oh wow i can really do this pretty easy mat work and footwork in the ring and stuff because you know i wrestled i did a lot of different sports i did gymnastics soccer basketball wrestling and track and in the summer i would play softball so i tried a lot of different sports so I think if you've done a lot of different sports, you get good footwork. And especially if you wrestled before, you take to it quicker. Because in amateur wrestling, you want to be all crouched down and low so you can protect your whole body at any moment. And they, he told me over and over, stand up tall. You want to look bigger, you know, especially being short. But he says you want to look big in the ring. So, you know, because it's different. So thank you, Rogue Time Lord One. Um, I have another question here, Caitlin Goodlett, and I do hope I pronounce people's names right. If I don't, please let me know. 
Uh, what was your favorite memories from ECW? I know we've kind of talked about a lot of ECW stuff before, but is there any one or two moments that you look at and you're like, man, that was really cool or that was really fun or, you know, you left the arena thinking we just did something super special? The night Just Incredible and I had our two out of three falls match in the, in the arena. And, I mean, Lance Storm, you know, a match that sticks out with he and I is the one in Chicago. Uh, matches I've had with Candido and, of course, RVD. And some matches was super crazy. So it, there were so many different, you know, times that were awesome. And usually it was, you know, the times that were really awesome is how was the crowd reacting. That usually, you know, that's what made it special. Let's see here. A Dr. Bob, and he is at Dr. Bob Commentary. Ever say no to an idea that was pitched to you by a booker or a writer? If not, what was something that was close? I really didn't say no to like their ideas, but there's been times where, and I'd get a promoter saying, yeah, I want you to go against my best guy. And, and you know, and they wanted me to go out there and have a crazy X division style, you know, blow the roof off the place match. And I'm telling them I can't do that anymore. I said, I'm, retiring for a reason my body is shot and that's why you know obviously why i'm quitting so you know and there's times i would ask you know please just put me in a three-way or a four-way so i don't have to be out there for 20 25 minutes doing all this crazy stuff but because you know i was pretty beat to death and little did i know i my neck was really bad at the time and my hips were about to go and i was pretty banged up but uh, there was a time, uh, you know, if a guy, if a promoter would say, yeah, I want you to go 28, I had one say, I want you to go 28 minutes, you know, whatever. And first I'm thinking, how do you come up with 28 minutes? But I would tell him, what I really like to work on is listening to the people and knowing when it's, and when it's time to go home, you got to go, you know, now that it may be at 14 minutes, you know. And they would always be fine with that because that's the object is listening to the people and taking them on that emotional roller coaster ride. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. Because you're only going to get them up emotionally so high that one time. Did you ever feel in a match, kind of a follow up to this one, that, man, we missed it. We missed the peak because we were we needed to keep going. Oh, yeah. Or and how, how do you how do you get that back then. well it depends there's nothing you can get back you can't you, right. you'd have to start all over again from square one and try it again but then you'd probably be out there for 45 minutes so if you've missed it you missed it and you're not going to get it back so you just try and hopefully you learned from it and move on to the next match because you only get one live take you don't get any redos you know have you ever seen a match that you've watched either from backstage or even as a spectator or on TV that you felt like, God, that was a beautiful story told. They ended it exactly when it needed to be. And you couldn't ask for anything. Oh, more. yeah. And then I've seen ones where they had another five to eight minutes planned and they had to get it in and they lost the people and they should have just skipped everything else they had planned and went home. One of the most important parts and the hardest part of the business is listening to the people and knowing when to take them on another turn and manipulate their emotions. 
that's the hardest part. And some guys don't know that. And, you know, when I started in the business, Brad would try and teach us psychology. And you pretty much understood, okay, you're the heel, you're the baby face, and this is what you do to tell the story. But it probably wasn't until about eight years in where finally, I can't remember what show or what town it was in, but I remember the moment. I was sitting in the chair, taping up my ankles, getting dressed, and all of a sudden, it was like the light bulb went off. And I just went, oh, I get it now. <laughs> and it, it was just a, you know, sometimes I guess, I don't know, that's just, just it just suddenly happened. Back to the questions. Um, I, I kid you not. This is the name. Bad Bitch Darlin Arlen. Wow. And I hope I, I, hope I said that right. Uh, if Jerry Lynn were starting out in the wrestling business today, where would he go geographically to get the most exposure? I would go. I guess if you, I was starting the business today and where I would go geographically to get the most exposure, I would go to a city like maybe towards the East coast where the most shows are indie shows are being run all over the place within a reasonable driving distance. Okay. So I'd probably go somewhere near the East coast where you could drive, you know, within say eight to 10 hours, you can go so many different places where there's so many shows. So maybe not necessarily promotion wise, but in the country, so you would say probably the East Coast is is your best bet right now because that's where a lot of well a lot of good indie promotions. You kind of want to be centrally located to within a reasonable driving distance. So, and I always tell guys if you have the weekend off and there's a show nearby, you go take your gear and you show up because you never know when someone can't make it and they might need an extra person. But you always show up if you're not. So how do- if you don't have a gig that night. But how does that work, Jerry? So so let's say, you know, you're not booked and there's a show within three hours of where you're at. Do you need to make contact with them? Or at that point, do you just show up and, and find somebody and say, hey, look, this is who I am. If you guys need somebody, how does that work? Well, now out? with social media, it's probably easier to get a hold of all these different promotions and, and, you know, maybe ask the promoter, say, hey, you know, do you mind if I show up just in case someone doesn't show or whatever? But years ago, there wasn't social media. So you would just show up with your right. gear and introduce yourself when you got there. Right. And then, you know, obviously tell them, you know, you need help setting up chairs, you need help setting up the ring, whatever, you know. That's, you, you, you don't just show up and say, hey, give me a payday. When you weren't with, you know, the, the promotions and you were just doing the indie stuff before things started to really start ramping up for you, we've heard many stories about paydays could be, and I know money is a very touchy issue, so I'll kind of keep this basic, but is it literally 25 bucks, 15 bucks, 30, 50? I mean, is that, does that sound reasonable or do you think in this day and age you're looking at more, less? What, what, what would it be like for you? And what do you think it is realistically today for somebody? Oh boy. It's hard because you have nowadays, Years ago, everyone got paid. And years ago, though, the promoters would get bought shows. They hardly ever would go off the gate. But uh, now, 
And even when I was still wrestling, there were so many guys who were willing to work for $10 or for nothing. And that lowers the pay scale for everybody. So how are you supposed to ask for your fee when the promoter's going, yeah, but I can get, you know, three other guys for this much. So it, it's tough. It depends on what kind of a reputation you've already got built up as far as a wrestler and what you can ask. But there are certain promoters also who may, you know, own their own ring, have a great deal on a building, may draw the same 50 people every time they run, and so they'll pay their guys next to nothing, but the promoter's still making a great payday. But one thing you do have to be careful of is when you tell someone a price, you've established what you're worth. Have you ever had a situation where they would say, no, we can't do that, and then you would have to leave? or You either leave, or you, unless you're willing, if it's an oddball day, to go lower in, in your fee. Like right. Sometimes near the end, I would go lower for a Tuesday or Wednesday booking because not a lot of people would book or would run a show on those days. When, when you, we hear the term, you know, it based upon the gate. So obviously that is how much money is brought in on ticket sales. And then sometimes people will get paid based upon a percentage of the gate. Is that correct as well? It depends on the promoter, but yet, you, you know, okay. it used to be like that for a lot of promotions back in the day. Like in, uh, when I was in Memphis for the U USWA, they brought in okay. Jackie Fargo one week for the whole loop and the houses were all up. So did you did did you prefer obviously having it based on something like that or just hey this is my straight fee? When I was out getting my own work on the indies, I would just always get my straight fee because right. you don't know how a promoter is going to promote, and it's a big you know. And I didn't want to gamble, and some promoters think just advertising on their Facebook is promoting, and it's not. I mean, you got to do a lot of legwork still papering the town with posters and flyers and giving businesses tickets. And it's a lot of work and try and get radio spots. So you don't know how a promoter has promoted a show. One time a friend of mine and I, we did a show up somewhere in Alabama, top of a hill in some old community center. And this guy said, and that we stopped to eat at the, the town next to it. And there were all kinds of kids and there hadn't been homecoming or prom or something because everyone was dressed to the nines. And right as the show was going to start, he said to us, I thought you'd draw better. And I'm thinking, did you promote? Did you check the next town over what was going on in town? Are you competing against something, you know, that everyone else is going to be going to? So you can't, I couldn't gamble and, you know, go right. off the gate. This next question is kind of interesting. So it's about a specific situation. So I'm going to mention this and I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes of what this question is. This is by a Gabe Hubbard, if that sounds familiar. Poor Jerry. Jerry once got hit on by a very happy worker during an after party circa 2003 or 2004 in Illinois. I always wondered what prevented Jerry from knocking this guy out. <laughs> and I said, I would ask. So... Not real. I, you know, I can't remember the specific time, but I'm surprised that they think that I'd want to kick someone's butt just because they were hitting on me. Right. And, you know, I've always gone through life. My mother always taught me, said, treat, treat other people the way you would want them to treat you. And that's what I've done. Sure. But, you know, and then 
I don't think a lot of people, if they think I would be offended by that and kick someone's butt because of it, that's ridiculous. And if someone's hit on me, who's gay, I just take it as a compliment because they've got- I was going to say, I'd be They've flattered. got a taste too. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm having a great hair day. I don't know. You know, right. <laughs> but uh, no, it's never mattered to me. It's so interesting in, in society. And I guess it just depends on the, the individual themselves, but- that really should not factor into friendships or anything to that nature. I mean, that's just people's personal preferences. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with, you know, whether or not you can be friends with somebody or I think that uh, your advice you were given, treat others that you, way you'd like to be treated is definitely good advice, Jerry. It's the way I've always been. And uh, I think if everyone did that in the entire world, that, that would uh, solve a tremendous amount of problems. We have another question here from a Josh Ritter. Josh says, why in TNA Bound for Glory in Philly wasn't he, meaning you, and RVD allowed to use ladders during the Full Metal Mayhem match? Oh, we could use ladders. We just weren't allowed to use a table. uh, So, okay, in a follow-up then, is there a reason why you weren't allowed to use a table? Because another match had a table spot. Makes sense. After us. So they didn't want us using any tables, even though our match was a basically a TLC match with nothing to climb for. Um, I got Sam from Houston says, Jerry, what's your favorite restaurant that you've ever eaten when you've traveled on the road? Oh, wow. That's one thing I always try to do when I'm on the road is find something that's not a national chain that only the locals would know about. I, I was up in Buffalo, New York. And one of the hosts of Monday Night Mayhem took me out to eat at this Italian restaurant that was owned by, I think, a wrestler, an old Italian wrestler started it, and his son took over. I think it's DiPaolo's. Okay. Unbelievable. Best bruschette I've ever had in my life. And then I'll never forget, and I can't remember for the life of me the name of it, I ate in... Uh, Greenwich Village at a little Italian restaurant, hole in the wall. One of the best steaks I've ever had in my life. Carrie Silken took me out to eat a few times in Little Italy in New York at okay. Angelo's. Unbelievable. I, well, as you can tell, Italian's my favorite. Yes. But where else? I have to say, it wasn't a restaurant. But I used to wrestle for a guy named Judd down in Louisiana, I think in Lafayette, Louisiana. And his mom would bring a huge pan of jambalaya to the locker room for the boys to eat. It was unbelievable. Best homemade jambalaya I've ever had in my life. It was, and that would get cleaned up in no time. Everyone scarfed it down. And then in Chicago, not a restaurant again. This is a great thing, too. Some of the wrestlers' moms. Uh, uh, Tony Scarpone, I wrestled him quite a bit and got to be really good friends with him. And once in a while, I'd stay at his parents' house. His mom made the best eggplant parmesan I've ever had in my life. It was incredible. Oh, when we go on vacation in Florida, down in Fort Walton, we go to this place called Stubies. It's just a little restaurant that the locals go to and stuff but it's all fresh seafood best fish tacos i've ever had in my life unbelievable and another there's another place down there called the crab shack not the crab trap but the crab shack 
great food. And there's a place out right on the outskirts of Panama City called Boondocks. Unbelievable. Great, great seafood there. In Philly, too, we went a few times to uh, Chinatown. And I can't remember the name of the restaurant. There's one Chinese restaurant there where right inside the uh, the door, they would have tanks on both sides with different fish and whatever. And you could pick out which ones you wanted. They even had a tank with these big frogs. You could pick out what frog you wanted, the frog legs. So obviously it sounds like you've had some really good dining experiences and you would remember those obviously whenever you would come back in those towns again man i want to hit this place up i asked the woman sitting next to me on the plane because she was from there going back home and i said is there you know i always try and ask it where there's a little hole in the wall or someplace with great food that only the locals know and she said a place called g's and i think it was spelled g-e-e-z and it was a little place but man what a menu and it was great food some of the best places are the ones that fly under the radar, yeah. you know? Speaking of Dayton, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. I went on a fishing trip uh, this past weekend, and from Cincinnati, we were driving to just south of Columbus, so we went through Dayton on 75 North, and I got to see some of the devastation of what had happened to Dayton. Guys, it's it's weird. It's It's nothing like what you see on TV. You don't get that full impact emotionally is when you see it live in person. And I can't even believe what these people are going through right now. I mean, I saw buildings that were completely ripped apart. I saw uh, garages, you know, ripped apart completely. Houses that looked like it was just a bunch of kindling laying around. So our, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody who is in the Dayton and the surrounding areas. Um, that were affected by the horrible tornadoes and weather. At one point, Jerry, there were 19 tornadoes that were confirmed in Ohio. 19. That's terrible. And it is because it just takes one second for your life to change completely. And Dayton is a great wrestling town. And I I saw a lot of people on social media. I saw Lance Storm and I saw uh, Just Incredible and, and yourself and a lot of guys talking about just the memories that you had in Dayton and what a great place that was to wrestle, uh, especially up at Hera Arena. And um, yeah, unbelievable. It's it's crazy how life goes, but uh, thoughts are with everybody up there right now. Hopefully things can at some point start to seem normal again, if that's even possible. But Dayton, great, great city, great wrestling town, and uh, a lot of great memories, especially with you guys with ECW. Oh, yeah. A lot of great memories there. I always loved wrestling there at the Hair Arena. Barbara from California says, Jerry, had you ever had any kind of rashes or any kind of ailments after you wrestled someone? Oh, had you ever had any type of, uh oh, what's this? What's this? I got some patches on me. Some, I, I, I feel a little. I feel a little iffy. I might need to take a shower. Anything like that? Luckily, no. I mean, there were times <laughs> when my opponent, you know, was reeking and ill and pretty bad, like they hadn't showered in a few days, and you'd come back after a Ooh. match, you could still smell them on you. That's pretty gross. Oh. But and I've wrestled in a lot of rings where the promoter would never, never clean the canvas or anything. I always had a bottle of alcohol and a towel. There just to alcohol down my whole body when I was done. And when I was in TNA, I heard from some of the guys that uh, uh, some, of, some of them were getting ringworm from one of the canvases. 
on one of the indie shows. So, you know, it it's, gets pretty disgusting, especially when they have death matches and stuff, and there's shards of glass stuck in the canvas, little tiny microscopic pieces, and it still cuts you up. And So it gets kind of scary in some of them rings sometimes if the, the mat looks pretty nasty. I was watching some matches from Japan, and they bleed a lot with some of these different type of death matches and whatnot. Did the concept of someone bleeding on you and you bleeding together, did, did that ever bother you? And at what point did the concept of two guys bleeding in a match start to become, hmm, this might not be a good idea? Well, obviously, there are certain people you wouldn't want to bleed with, especially when you know they've got a drug problem. And there was one time I had to wrestle someone who had hepatitis. And I asked my okay. doctor about it. And he said, well, as long as you both don't have open wounds, there should be no problem. So that put me at ease. Got a question here. Let's see here. Josh Ritter again. Josh Ritter says, can you get Jerry to tell the fans about your no bump matches you had the end of your ECW run because they were classic? Well, the first one was actually an accident. And I can't remember the whole story. Lance tells it better. But I can't remember if the ref brought it up or I just... I think it was a match where, you know, we started challenging ourselves to come up with the longest fish-out-of-water spot as possible. And then the one match, at the end of it, we were, all three of us, me, Lance, and the ref, were all going to collapse out of pure exhaustion. (laughs) And something went wrong, so we ended up skipping the spot. But... Um, so I think that was going to be the only bump in the mat. I can't remember the whole story about the first time, but it, it ended up being an accident that we didn't have any bump. We didn't take any bumps. Well, near the end, they were booking some horrible venues where the, the ring would be up on a stage and then the people would just be out. And I think they may have had one or two rows of chairs around the ring on the stage and the rest of the people would be out in the audience on the one side. But there was one of those shows I think we drew... 180 people. And we thought, well, let's just go out there and do our no bump match. No one notices. And we're giving them, we're still working hard and giving them good action. We just didn't count the DDT or a head scissors, you know, stuff like that as a bump because you could roll through it. And so we just started doing it if we were, you know, if it was an instant with a horrible crowd, but we were still working hard. It was, wasn't like we were robbing them. But in the meantime, poor Spike is being thrown over the top rope through two flaming tables and guys Jeez. are going in thumbtacks. And I thought, man, save the, the risks of those big bumps and flirting with fire for a pay-per-view. Well, we, we have another question here, but this one I think we had talked about before. So we'll just kind of graze over this again. We did this when we did our watch along. So, um, and then once again, I hope I pronounce this correct. Philip Sonic. Um, Definitely check out the watch along episode where we had the match with RVD and Jerry Lynn, which was an ECW classic. But his question is, my question is from your time in ECW. I always wondered what was going through your head and if you ever considered stopping the match altogether when RVD kicked you and you slipped onto the concrete floor and your face. I always respected the fact that you pushed through. Oh, yeah. Like I said earlier, we at first... 
I told, you know, the ref checked on me and asked me if I was okay. And I said, no. And he went to Rob and told him to give me a minute. I think I said, give me a minute at first. And then when he came back and it was still, it was still unbearable pain. He said, you want to keep going? And I said, no. I said, tell him to roll me in the ring and pin me. Well, luckily Rob was great at stalling because by the time he came back and put me on the apron, uh, the pain had started subsiding. So I said, all right, let's finish it. So, and people say, well, that takes balls. I said, it's either that or pure stupidity. So, (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything thinking, you know, after hearing some of these questions that kind of triggers some memories of some fond moments? Because I know we haven't really talked a whole lot about your time in Ring of Honor, but, and I think we did talk a little bit about some of the people you enjoyed working with in Ring of Honor. And we talked about obviously getting inducted into the Hardcore Hall of Fame. We talked about when you got the championship as well. Looking back at Ring of Honor, it seems like you got some really good memories, especially working with Carrie. And can you talk a little bit about the type of person Carrie Silken is? Well, I've always said, you know, no pun intended, Carrie and his uh, sidekick, Sid, were two of the most honorable people I've ever worked for. I mean, they were great. And they were always straightforward, no BS. I, I couldn't put them over more, you know. It was great. They are a great, great, great company to work for at the time. So, and there was great guys to work with, too. You know, they hired a lot of the top independents from around the world. But it was tough at my age at that time. I think I was 46, and everyone else probably was in their, you know, low 20s. So it wasn't easy. And then, you know, there was a lot of pressure because you had to really go. And I'm sure there was some people, some fans, and there may have been some of the boys who weren't happy I was there because that was a promotion known for being for the younger guys coming up. But I, you know, I was happy that they wanted me there, and it's what I did to make a living. I'm proud of what I did because I think I kept up, and and I knew my my place, and I knew I was on my way out. And I took everything, everyone I wrestled, I took all their moves and put them over as best as I could. I don't think you're going to find a single person who has anything bad to say about your character and your professionalism. I think that's the one thing when, when people talk about Jerry Lynn in in your career, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying the, the incredible matches. I mean, we can put that aside, but just you, the way you conduct yourself, the way you treat people. I think that's the one thing that people shines higher than any championship or any, you know, five or seven star match that you had. So it's it's really neat to see somebody as humble as you are. But well, let me, let me ask say you this. this: you know, I know I'm not every wrestling fan's cup of tea, and that's fine. You know, I understand that they're going to have their favorites, and I may not be one of them, and that's fine. I get it. I understand. Not everyone else's favorite wrestlers are my favorites either. And there was one show um, I wrestled uh, Briscoe for the title when I would add the belt. And at the end of the match, some fan was just, I, I mean, he was screaming, I'm pissed, I'm pissed. And I got on the mic and I cut a promo on him. And I, you know, I probably went about it the wrong way, but 
what the deal was. It wasn't about whether he liked me or not. What it was about was you just had 40 guys go out there risking life and limb, killing themselves for you for three and a half, however many hours the show was. And if you're still angry after that because you didn't like the booking or something, well, the problem isn't with the show and the wrestling. The problem is with you. Because then you're not a fan anymore. Then you're just a critic and a cynic. And I probably went about it the wrong way because it just rubbed me the wrong way. Because you have some of the best wrestlers in the world that night there killing themselves. And you're going to put up a hissy fit at the end of a show that was that good. It just rubbed me the wrong way because you had so many. And no one realizes how hard those guys work in there. And the chances they're taking of permanent injury and paralysis and that was just my you know my point i went around you know i I, I got mad (laughs) well do you feel like you know and we just had a situation recently happen when you talk about fans and not being happy with something or heckling i mean I'm, i'm sure we could do a whole episode with you and mikey about the heckling and you know stand up comedians get it but i'm sure you guys you get it just as much, if not even more, because people are emotionally invested in their passion about it. Did you did you feel like it would it took a while to get used to some of the heckling, or do you feel like you just understood that was part of it and you just rolled with it? Or are there times where like this situation really started to get well, under your skin? That wasn't really heckling me personally. You know, you I don't I never cared about the, the people heckled or not. That's what you want. You want them to be vocal. I would rather wrestle in front of 50 people who are just rowdy and heckling and making a ton of noise instead of 5,000 who are dead silent. Right. So that I was always understood. That's part of it. And, you, you know, that's just you can't let it bother you. You want that, actually. And as a heel, I would want the whole crowd. That's my job is to make every single person in that building hate my guts and want to see me get my butt kicked. And if they're not doing that, then as a heel, I'm not doing my job right. Do you feel like some some wrestlers, when they first start out, have a hard time as far as dealing with that from the, the mental standpoint? Yeah, I think some of them do. And I've seen it on indie shows where the guys will get right, you know, get upset over what some fan is saying to them. So they'll get right up to the rail and right in their face. And when a physical confrontation happens, well, I got to blame the wrestler. Don't get close to the fans. Keep a, you know, right. don't let them get within an arm's length where they can touch you. Then it's your fault. Right. But we want them to be riled up. That's what you want. And like I said before, I've been on indie shows where the promoter, after the show or after the match, makes the heel go out and apologize. No, you want them all riled up. Then they'll come back, pay, buy another ticket next time to see that heel get his butt kicked. Well, and the reason I bring this up is because I I, I know a lot of people have, have asked questions about this. And a fan that the fan spoke their mind, got very vocal, got pretty derogatory. And at the end of the day, depending on what you believe, what story is out there, that the fan was brought backstage. Have you ever heard of a situation where... A a confrontation led to someone being pulled backstage, a a fan out of the audience to talk about something? No, usually if they go overboard, you'd kick them out of the building. Right. Just get security and say, this guy's got to go. So 
I don't know. There's a lot of things that really make me kind of scratch my head when I hear about this because you never want to put yourself into a situation. You don't know what that person could be like. You know what I mean? You just it's it's not worth rolling that dice. Well, <laughs> you know, I've heard a lot of wrestlers say pretty bad things to the fans too. I don't know what all went down or anything. I haven't heard anything, but uh, it's. It, you, you can't let words affect you. And it's not fair for the wrestlers to be able to say anything they want to the fans, but the fans can't say anything they want. The business is all based on psychology and human emotion. And you want people riled up and rowdy. So I don't, you know, I've always said you got to have thick skin. And, you know, don't go near the fans. If you get, you know, I've seen so many wrestlers just get in the fans' faces and just, and eventually, it, you're going to get too close, and something's going to happen. I've seen where wrestlers have been the one, the first ones to get physical too. So you just got to realize it's just a show. Well, speaking of learning about psychology and learning about the world of professional wrestling, if you are wanting to do this, and I highly recommend it, if you are in the area. Uh, Crux Wrestling presents A Night with Jerry Lynn, and it's going to be Thursday, June the 27th, 2019. Um, it's in Tennessee, and I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, Jerry. Correct me here. Is it Tullahoma? Yes, Tullahoma. And if you want to find out more information, definitely go ahead and hit up at Crux Wrestling. I'm going to go ahead and retweet this as well. So if people are interested, you can find out if tickets are still available. I do know that they were going really fast. So if you are thinking about going, I would definitely reserve your place soon. So I think that's going to be really cool. And I know you like doing these seminars as well. And I tell you what. For someone who loves wrestling and you really obviously want to learn, and there's a lot of things to it outside of just taking bumps as well. Character development, there's the psychology like you mentioned before, footwork and all that kind of stuff. There's more to it than the average fan probably gives it its, its rightful due. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I, I really enjoy doing it, and it, it's, it takes a lot more than people think. And that's how good the guys are on TV. They make it look easy, but it's not. We're not just running around. You're not supposed to be running around doing moves for the sake of doing moves like a chicken with your head cut off. There's a lot more to it. You actually have to be on your feet thinking the whole time while you're performing. And it's not easy. And this is the great thing. You guys are realizing now that, you know, the, the stars, and I, I hate to use this phrase, Jerry, but the stars of yesteryear with, with AEW now are going to be able to have a lot of influence and start working with the superstars of today. And I am really excited with, you know, all the stuff that you're going to be able to pass down. And I think a lot of people are excited as well because you are a very, very vital tool to talking to people and passing that information down. Do you feel like there was anybody that stands out or, and maybe it may be a couple of people that you felt really sat down with you or at least took time and had a beer with you and said, Hey, I really like what you're doing. You might want to think about X, Y, and Z. Oh yeah. Um, no, <laughs> now that I'm on <laughs> from yesteryear, <laughs> <laughs> I know I, uh, I had a feeling I was going to get a little, a little yeah, pushback on that one. So actually the guys I'm going to mention are, you know, uh, Baron Von Roschke, Ray the Crippler Stevens, uh, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, um, Bret Hart, uh, Hector Guerrero, 
Um, there's so many. There's a lot. And I learned a lot from a lot of different people. And it's a lot to soak in. And like I said, you never stop learning. But I try and help the guys go from looking indie-rific to professional. Yeah. My dad always said if, if the greatest thing anyone can give you is their time. Because time is so precious and the clock never stops. No, so if someone cho chooses to you know, sit down with you and talk to you and try to instill something in you, they care. Because if they didn't care, they wouldn't even waste right. their time. They would be doing, they'd be spending it doing something more productive that's going to help them. So the, the old phrase I always, always used growing up was, shut your mouth and open your ears. That's what I was told by Gary Darusha when I first did squash matches. He said, keep your eyes and ears open and your yep. mouth shut. So we just went ahead and we plugged that, but guys, if you're really, really digging front row material, and we know you are, and we are really grateful for all the amazing listeners that we have each and every week, you can head on over to Pro Wrestling Tees, and you can go ahead and get your official Jerry Lynn merchandise. There's a little search bar at the top. Go ahead and click on that. You type in his name. He's got several designs that are out there. Uh, the Jim Molitor's favorite is the referee shirt, the whole ref and show. <laughs> you can favorite. go ahead and get yourself one of those. I tell you what, he's endorsing it completely. Oh, yeah. Hopefully he'll endorse it so people will buy it and burn it. That's oh. he would. And oh, I, I have no yeah. doubt he would. He, he may definitely have. would, but he's no, a good I dude. Love Jim. If you want to get some other merchandise as well, the official front row material merchandise can be found at our site, which is shop.spreadshirt.com forward slash FRM pod. There is hoodies and sweatshirts, t-shirts, coffee mugs, you name it, it is there. And there are some awesome, great designs. I cannot say enough about the Halifax Matt, the man from Canada. He has come up with some great stuff. We have a, uh, we got, we got a Brian Blair shirt here and it's, it's awesome. Uh, Jerry, I don't yes, know if you've seen this yet. Yes. Yes. You will be humbled old country style and it's fantastic. It's the Iron Sheik and Brian Blair you got, you got to love that one. Um, the the Dad's Right Bubba, we have some of those. Those are going really quickly, guys. Those are really popular. We got the Sniffers Row, which is really selling well. And the... the, the every time I say that, it's the fabulous uh -oh, Sniffers yeah. Row. Where world, world the problems one, are solved. Where all the problems are yes. solved. Front row at Sniffers Row. Um, the one I thought was the, the the presidential seal, which clearly is not. It shows you how uncool I am. That was the Ramones. They have the logo there. So you, you can get all of that stuff as well. And like I said, T-shirts, coffee mugs. There's women's apparel. There's men's apparel. There's water bottles, koozies. Get your stuff there. Also, don't want to forget the love for Mr. Mikey Whipwreck. You can definitely get his stuff as well at ProWrestlingTees.com. He also is doing the autographs. So if you want to go ahead and get an autograph, I make fun of it. I joke around about it, but it's really, really Ikeed, cool. Ikeed. Um, yes, you can go ahead and hit him with a DM. He has 8x10s. You can get autographs. You can DM Jerry. He will go ahead and let you know if you're looking for 8x10 autographs from him as well. Um, I don't have any autographs. I, I have nothing. You don't? But um, I don't have, no, don't I have, have any 8x10s? I just, I just, for me to poop on, I keyed. I keyed. <laughs> well, I tell you what, after I take my blue chew, I'm about 8 to 10, but we'll leave it at that. R remember, guys, don't forget, the great friends over at Blue Chew has sponsored this program. So go ahead and go over to bluechew.com. You can go ahead and get your free first order 
just by spending $5 for the shipping when you use promo code ECW. Remember, chew it and do it. Uh, anything else that I'm I'm leaving out here? We, we mentioned your your uh, night with Jerry Lynn, which is coming up, which is exciting. Anything else that you would like to share with the lovely audience um, of Front Row Material? NYWC, I will be there at the 21st and 22nd. They will be inducting me in their That's- Hall of Fame that Friday night, and then the next day I will be refing at a show they're having at a big beer fest. What am I doing here in Cincinnati, just playing with my my couscous and jibos, as they would say? Not doing oh, a whole wow. lot, but uh, couscous and yeah. jibos. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but once again, much love to the Halifax Matt who produces this show. He does a fantastic job. So for Jerry Lynn, who is yet to eat any chips, I know, or cheese its or anything tonight? like that. I'm really I proud of have, you. This was really I was good. Drinking a. Uh, it's from Old Shed Brewing in actually in Tullahoma, Tennessee. Here, Old Shed nice. Brewing. It's a potbelly porter. It's really good. So I was Ooh, I was sipping like on that. that, but I forgot to have chips for uh, Tricky. I was about to say Tricky got through a whole episode oh, without uh, man, being I upset. I forgot. On that note, for Jerry Lynn, Mikey Whipwreck, and the Halifax Matt, I'm Mike Freeland. We will catch you next week on Front Row Material. The world of NLW Radio never stops. <laughs>